Welcome back to an Omniaparatus. I'm Jay here with my co-host Angela. Fortunately, I'm really caffeinated right now. And before we depress you, make you hopeful, whatever about abortion statistics, I think we should start off with something lighter. So Angela, you hate music? <laughs> Okay, I don't hate music, but it's gonna sound like I hate music. It's just, it's not my first choice. You know, when people say like, oh, when I have downtime, I put on music. When I have downtime, I put on Netflix. I don't always watch the TV, but I'll listen to the dialogue. That's just my default. I listen to music in the car and I have an alarm clock radio, but as you all know, like I have a Spotify premium account and I don't even use it and I didn't get a wrapped last year. So it's not really much more of an incentive. Yes, but like explain what how what phrase you use and how the story came up. Okay, so I was at a company holiday party many moons ago and everyone at my table was like super into music and they were talking about it together. And then someone turned to me and was like, well, Angela, what kind of music do you listen to? And just the first thing that came out of my mouth was I don't really listen to music. And everyone just stopped and stared at me for like a full 10 seconds, which feels like a lifetime. And then they just moved on and no one said anything else to me for the rest of the night. Okay, but you're an English major. Yes. You do understand the difference of I don't love listening to music and I don't listen to music. Yeah, but it's not that I don't love listening to music. Any music that I listen to, I know I know the words by heart. But didn't you say I don't listen to music? Yeah, like I don't really listen to music outside of waking up in the morning and it's like, you know, top 40 pop radio, like it's the same eight songs over and over again. I guess like from what I'm hearing, you mean like I'm not like super into music, the new albums that come out. Like I'm not on, like I'm not on the pulse of music trends, but like when you hear someone doesn't listen to music, it's weird because like, okay, you say you watch Netflix, you listen to podcasts, you do mm-hmm. things. There's like a musical score through it. Like so, or movies, you love movies. So when you say I don't listen to music, it's like you actively listen to things like with sound, just like not with instruments. <laughs> or like acapella. This is going to get us far off topic, but I don't care. On the Wild Till Nine podcast, they had um, Bachava Hart, who's the daughter of Julia Hart, who had the minor orthodox reality show on Netflix, basically how they left the orthodox Jewish religion. And like, this isn't just orthodox. This is like, okay, it's not Hasidic, but it's like, or Chabad, but it's like one of like the very conservative sect of it. Mm-hmm. And they left. But basically she was on it and she was saying for one Jewish holiday, which I don't remember, you can't listen to music with instruments. So they, so she actually had known Jeremy because he was in an acapella group and she would listen to like the acapella songs during this period because they couldn't have instruments playing. Okay. Yeah. See, I don't know. Going back, my general argument that I pull out, it's like, why is it so weird when I say I don't listen to music when there are people out there who say I don't watch TV or I don't read books? To me, those are much more like mind baffling things. So I feel like it comes down to personal choice, but also way less societally acceptable to say that you don't listen to music. But I think I know people who have actively said like, oh, if you don't have an appreciation for music, you are the lowest form of human. I'm just like, well, you don't read books. So like, I don't know what you really have to say here, man. Personally, like we'll go into this at some point. Like I personally had like a stigma with reading that I had to get over. So like reading was one that's like, like again, I feel like it's all in the wording. Like I don't read is a little bit more concerning than I don't read books. 
Because, like, to kind of maneuver through life, whether it's an email, a text, an Instagram caption, TikTok, you need to read. So I like, I don't read versus I don't read books. That's, like, a little bit different. When you say I don't listen to music, I feel like I don't watch TV to me means you don't have a physical TV you watch. But you could still have Netflix streaming. Like, it's all about the interpretation. And I think, like, I don't listen to music is, like, one that I haven't really heard. What I get from what you're saying is, like, I don't keep up with music. Mm-hmm. But like it means, like, but it's less common. So the phrasing sounds like you like actively avoid listening to music. Like you don't put the radio on. You like don't want it. Like <laughs> like I'm like running out of the room when like, someone starts playing a song. Like you're like a Scrooge for holiday season, or when you go into any store that music <laughs> is playing. Like I don't listen to music. Like music is like God. I'm trying to think of a way to make it sound like less heavy. It's like music just like exists. It is everywhere. And so saying like I don't listen to music. Like you mean like I don't focusly like intentionally listen to music but like I don't it's just like you don't have to have a tv you don't need to own a book but like if you're in the car people in other cars like if someone's reading a book in the car next to me I don't know if they're like (laughs) listening to like rap or country or EDM I know that they're listening to music you walk into a Best Buy you like see a tv or you hear music playing in stores like music is just in everywhere so saying I don't listen to it means like you just don't like you're hermiting (laughs) like I actively avoid listening to music well no why is it like oh well you know music just exists in the world so then by saying that you don't listen to it you're actively avoiding all of it it's like here's the thing if someone's reading on the train and they're near me I read over their shoulder sorry like I'm that person I'm really interested in what you're reading and I want to know like if it's worth like me picking up later from the library but the thing is when you're talking to someone about their personal preference you're not talking about what they experience in the world because if you say that you don't watch tv you don't see commercials you don't see ads you don't see the things that play uh, like in between YouTube videos or the like little scroll on like the train platform or something like that. But that's thing I don't see. Yeah, it's not saying I don't watch TV. You don't. You don't watch football. You don't watch baseball. You don't go to the bar and like watch the Super Bowl. That's TV. I mean, I don't know very many people who say they don't watch TV at this point. So like that argument, like I get what I don't know. <laughs> okay, for me, because I feel like we should wrap up and get to our actual topic for the day. Okay. Music is one of the few things that as of now, with how divisive our world is, like mm-hmm. we're about to get, is one of the few things people still choose to actively come together around. <laughs> and for you to be like, I don't like music, is like breaking one of the few strands where we can like all go to a concert or a festival and relate is like breaking. And the thing is like personally, because like you said, there's radio, there's so many forms, music is more, has the lowest, the lowest threshold to entering listening to music compared to reading books or going or having a TV. Okay. I mean, okay, I, I'm just going to say, okay, and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to pause our debate. So that way we can move into the real meat of our topic. And I also just want to put it out there when I'm like, well, you don't read books. I'm not like a book elitist at all. I promise. I love your gateway. If you're reading classic novels, comics, anything like that. Like I'm open to it. I'm not like, oh, you don't read books. Like you're, you're out of my life. You're forgetting the most important one. Autobiographies? July. Colleen Hoover books. If you read a Colleen Hoover book, I'm not going to judge you. I'm about to be right in it with you. <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I'm about to do some in-depth coho research. I just like, I like saying coho and seeing you do the <laughs> blink. <laughs> I just hate when people shorten things. I'm going to say this. I'm, I know she listens to every episode. My friend, my dear friend, Lily from high school, 
shortened every dang word. Like, <laughs> totally would become totes. Every, I can't think of the other ones, like, awkward would ox, like, any, any word that was, like, more than a syllable, like, she had to change. And I can't stand it. See, at this point, Coho just makes me laugh because it reminds me of Gilmore Girls, Ho-Cho. Well, I think of Hoko, like, Homecoming. Oh, that too. I bet you she has a book called Homecoming. Or Coming, and Coming Home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> based on some of these titles we've read <laughs> we don't we'll make this prediction here because this episode's coming up before angela's gotten into mm-hmm. we don't think that many 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 people on tiktok of different genres on book talk on non-book talk have loved these books and we love justin baldoni who will be producing the movie it ends with us <laughs> but it see the following seems sim- seems similar one may say cult like to mm-hmm. jen sincero's books and kind of other things so because angela similarly to the brother in Halloween Town is a speed reader. She's gonna take these on for us. But when we're going through the titles, there's like, it begins with us. It, it ends, ends with, with us. us. So like the whole homecoming and coming home thing, we don't shame you. And if you love these books, like please, frankly, like if any of our friends who listen to this like want to come talk with Angela, mm-hmm. I'm going to observe and like just ask questions, but we're more than happy to like include you in this. Seriously, come join me. I picked up, I have It Ends With Us, Verity, and... Verily? Ver- I don't know if it's Verily or Verity. I really can't tell from the title. I'm honestly the worst at reading cursive. So (laughs) any kind of curly script, I'm just like, I'm taking a shot in the dark and we'll figure it out. And my mom got me one other. So I'm going to try to get through those this weekend and then I'll pick up another three for the next weekend. Do you have them with you now? Uh, At home. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Trigger warning for women's health, medical statistics, abortion, and medical procedures. Oh shoot, I didn't look up that one. It's fine. Today, in the spirit of preserving bodily autonomy, we want to talk to you about abortion rights. Facts. Facts. And that all hope is not lost in the world. So to kick us off, very similar to our episode on U.S. general statistics, Jay has an abortion statistics article that she is going to quiz me on today. So according to the website, we presented the results from 10 questions we asked Americans on abortion in the U.S. alongside the most up-to-date estimates for the CDC pro-abortion rights research group, the gutter mantra maker, who also I think like founded Planned Parenthood. But Um, from what I see, I actually have my article open on them. Remember, statistics are mostly self-reported or like intake data. It's not like Mm -hmm. every person does it, but so we'll just run through these quickly. Angela, what percentage of pregnancies do American thinks are unplanned? Ugh, okay. I feel like I know from a New York Times article I was reading earlier, it's 45% of pregnancies are actually unplanned as of 2021. But I feel like Americans are going to think it's much lower than that. So I'm going to go with... 22 is what Americans think yeah okay well Americans break it down so 0 10 20 but yes correct so the gutter Mocher Mocher Institute estimates 45% of pregnancies are unintentionally planned and the actual estimate is like between 40 and 50 so Mm -hmm. American I think 13% of Americans and 17% of Americans guess that even though it's Mm -hmm. higher what percentage of unplanned pregnancies do you think end in abortion 35 okay so the actual it's around 40% only 9% of people guessed it most people guessed it was less and then these are 42% of unintended pregnancies that don't end in miscarriage end in an abortion okay so it's around 40% 
During what stage of pregnancy do you think Americans think the largest shared abortions are performed? First trimester. Or do I have to do it in weeks? Um, It's separated in weeks, but like what stage of pregnancy do Americans think the largest share of abortions are performed? Eight weeks. So 21% of Americans guess that. The actual is six weeks or less. 43% of abortions are performed within the first six weeks of pregnancy, which we will get into. Another thing to just mention as we are playing like a stats game, we have some comments about statistics and about mm-hmm. how these are not giving as accurate of a picture as they could be so we're breaking them down a little bit more but this is just a fun little game to see if Angela's gotten any better with human (laughs) to percentage fraction to percentage ratios what percent of abortions do Americans think involve medication so the pill versus a surgical one 42 54% are performed according to 2020 with the pill Hmm, okay and then what age group do Americans think account for the most abortions 15 to 25 okay you kind of did a few groups so 18% (laughs) estimated 19 and younger Okay. The actual answer is that most abortions, 33% of people guess 20 to 24, which is the largest group, and 25 to 29 is the second largest group. And half of those, so 20s is the large point, half of those are 20 to 24. So 20 to 24 is the most common age. Okay. Yeah. So like instinctively, I was actually going to go 20 to 30, but then I was thinking about how they usually like pull you for demographics. And I was like, it's usually, it's like 25 to then 40. So I was like, and that seems too high. At what stage of pregnancy do Americans believe a fetus is considered viable? According to Grey's Anatomy, viability is 26 weeks. Believe according to Grace Anatomy it was twenty four, but that episode was also season seven. Okay, yeah, it might it might be. I'm going twenty five plus okay. weeks. So through Roe v. Wade, viability was thought to occur around twenty eight weeks. In nineteen ninety two, it was closer to twenty three, twenty four, which was when Sophia mm-hmm. was born. So they put Sophia at the youngest. Okay. And then I think, at what stage of pregnancy do you believe a fetus is capable of feeling pain? I don't know. Well, here, I'll give you, I'm not going to tell you what the actual estimate is, but Mm -hmm. I'll tell you. So 10% of people guess six weeks or less. Mm -hmm. 12% of people guess seven to 12. 13% of people guess 13 to 18. 13% guess 19 to 24. 7% guess 25 to 30 weeks. 2% guess 31 to 36. And more than 36 weeks, people guess 3%. I'm going to say 19 to 24. (laughs) This is of available evidence published the Journal of the American Medical Association finds evidence regarding the capacity for fetal pain is limited but indicates fetal perception of pain is unlikely before the third trimester which would be 27 to 30 weeks. Okay all right that that kind of makes sense with like viability. Oh this poll was conducted between May 17th May 20th among a thousand U.S. adult citizens. Fun facts. Man. I'm very pro-choice and the big thing that I think, here's what I say and here's what a lot of people who are, who are as I will be referring to as pro-birth also say, which is I personally wouldn't get an abortion, but I don't think I have a right to tell others. That is pro-choice. I understand there's a lot of noise and a lot of quote-unquote media attention and things getting yelled at everyone, but like if the pro-choice and pro-life are not about your personal decision, mm-hmm. pro-life doesn't give you a personal decision pro-choice gives you body autonomy and a decision for yourself and not for anyone else. Mm -hmm. And that's what it comes down to because I don't believe I would get an abortion does not mean I have any right to tell any other woman in a situation what she should do for her, her family, lack thereof. Mm -hmm. I feel like what a lot of people forget because they're, like you said, there's a lot of noise around this being like a very like religious and moral issue is that regardless of the choice involved, whether it's like a life-saving decision or like you are not 
not ready to start a family. An abortion, any way that you have it, is a medical procedure. And you get to decide if you want to have elective procedures or medically necessary procedures. For example, one that I don't think is as common anymore, but when a lot of people in the past, when people would travel to more, quote, exotic locations where they wouldn't have access to, where they wouldn't have access to their doctor, they would elect to have their appendix removed. So they wouldn't have to worry about having a burst appendix on a rainforest excursion in South America. So they would preemptively remove it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can preemptively decide to have your appendix removed. Probably not covered by insurance, oh, okay. but it's cosmetic surgery. Not covered by insurance, but you don't have to crowdsource an opinion on if you want to adjust your nose. Well, it's not even crowdsourcing. It's like the government mm -hmm. doesn't get a say what you do with your nose. Yes, it's just, it's astounding to me. I really use the metric of viability mm -hmm. when I think through this. I not for, again, I'm not speaking for other people, but for me, when I'm listening and learning and talking about things like this, mm -hmm. for me, viability is really important mm -hmm. because until viability, that fetus, embryo, what have you, zygote, all the stages, cannot survive not being attached to me or the pregnant person. Mm -hmm. We are also going to try to be as inclusive in our language about this. Apologies if we slip up. We do know it's not only women who get pregnant. We do know that this is a conversation that needs to include any pregnant bodies. We both identify as women, so it's a perspective we're trying to make more inclusive. This is a lot to talk about. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think we'll get into this a little bit later, but I think the Women's Health Protection Act actually does a really good job of covering it. Like they state in the bill that they use the word women because this affects the majority of people who identify as women, but they have a inclusion here where they say that this act is intended to protect all people with the capacity for pregnancy, cisgender women, trans transgender men, non-binary individuals, and those who identify with a different gender other than assigned women at birth. Well, because think of it, if we were to be like, well, who affects things the most? In America, we, as with our other polling thing, 70% of Americans are white. So if we're going with the majority, then, mm -hmm. which is kind of what we are dealing with is like, they are the ones who have the control and the power and are running everything. So like, it's not fair for for us to not include marginalized people who are not, who do mm -hmm. not consider themselves identify being a woman with this is like saying, well, non-white people in America, you're the minority. So why do we include you in these things? Mm -hmm. In my opinion. Opinion. I feel like we just have to dive right into it. Please regale the people with the definition of an abortion. Okay, and so why we must protect it. So there's a few different definitions I have here. So the first one is the definition of a medical abortion, mm -hmm. which is a procedure that uses medication to end a pregnancy. A medical abortion does not require surgery or anesthesia, and it can be shortened either in a medical office or at home with a follow-up visits to your doctor. It is the safer and most effective during the first trimester of pregnancy. Angela, I'm going to read you a term and let me see if you can figure out a synonym for said term. Okay. Spontaneous abortion is the loss of pregnancy naturally before 20 weeks of gestation. Colloquially, spontaneous abortion is referred to as a miscarriage to avoid association with the induced abortion. Early pregnancy loss referred to as spontaneous abortion in the first trimester. However, the first trimester is when most spontaneous abortions occur. Therefore, in this article, these terms will be used interchangeably. Why do you think this matters? That spontaneous abortion and miscarriage are used interchangeably? Because there are certain people who believe that a miscarriage is the fault of the person carrying the fetus, as if it can not happen for any other reason than induction. 
which is ridiculous because women slip and fall in the shower. They have a miscarriage. You're in a car accident. You have a miscarriage. You wake up one morning and you have a miscarriage. There's nothing that needs to necessarily happen to your body other than the fetus embryo spontaneously spontaneously detaches from your uterus. And that's nobody's fault. The reason it's important to connect these terms is because when we ban abortions, medically, medically, people ones that people medically require, whether it is through surgery mm-hmm. or through the pill, it leaves room to question when people miscarry. And for states that are fining people who are like putting out like rewards for finding this stuff out. Mm-hmm. For example, I go to it. I don't cancellation whatever john Legend and christy teigen lost their son at 20 weeks mm-hmm. and all over her comments actually people were like well you're pro-choice so like it wasn't a fetus it was a fetus anyway the thing is like they wanted that baby and the thing is like why do you switch between fetus and baby because the thing is like it is still a fetus they if you want to be mm-hmm. technical they wanted that fetus they were trying hard they had two ivf babies and this was one that they had naturally mm-hmm. they announced it in his music video they were excited for this third child mm-hmm. to come into their life and it is appalling that like and she tried she went on bed rest like I was following her whole journey with this Mm -hmm. like through that loss how publicly she was about it post like she was she couldn't move because it was such a tough pregnancy Mm -hmm. and that was at like 20 weeks like she didn't want that to happen Mm -hmm. and for people to have the audacity of like wasn't a baby anyways appalling and it's like that is spontaneous you think with all of the money and access they have in the world they wanted that fetus Mm -hmm. to become a baby so you don't think they would have done anything in their power to sustain life for it mm-hmm. really hard like i mean you think of that and then you think about like those states where people are being fined where literally like someone in your family could turn you in because as we'll get into later how class and other things impact mm-hmm. such things we're gonna talk about is medically necessary here or is that later let we talk about that now. a big thing that people have gotten into are ectopic pregnancies and quick science lesson with jay an ectopic pregnancy is when the fetus is implanted not in the uterus in which it cannot sustain life will mm-hmm. not sustain life and by leaving it there it can kill the mother mm-hmm. so generally the egg is fertilized in a fallopian tube. in the united states 1 in 50 pregnancies are ectopic ectopic pregnancies are not viable meaning they will never reach full term without treatment they can lead to hemorrhaging and death. So one distinction that I read in um, a medical journal article is that, so some people make a distinction here, which is a threatened abortion, which I had never heard, is a symptomatic threatened expulsion of the products of conception, yet the cervical is remained closed and the embryo or fetus remains viable. An inevitable abortion is distinguished from a threatened abortion in the presence of an open cervical, oh no, it is OS, indicating the inviability of passage through the conception. In complete abortion, there is an incomplete passage of the product of conception through the cervical OS. So I never heard the distinction between these three terms, but like a threatened abortion, I threatened abortion is like basically one where the cervix is closed, but the pregnancy is still viable. An inevitable one, I guess, would be something similar to like an ectopic pregnancy in the presence of an open cervical OS indicating the inviability of passage. So it cannot pass through. Mm -hmm. It cannot come to it cannot gestate and then an incomplete abortion there's no passage a big thing with like ectopic pregnancies like i'm sure have some ectopic pregnancies made it i'm sure they have i'm sure like you can't say never because medical miracles occur and i think to just to disregard that 
isn't but in something like this where it's a very personal and familial community doctor valued leaders opinions mm -hmm. it's your choice whether or not for that medical miracle not the government to force you or to tell you to try or to do anything mm -hmm. so just so i'm on the same page an eptopic pregnancy that's just anywhere outside of your uterus correct okay it is mostly in like a fallopian tube okay but do you remember when alex brought the kids from africa the woman and, and it was yeah so no i i totally get that but it's like personally pro-choice whatever decision you want to make that is how i feel about it that is such a risk though like to have to say like regardless of where this fetus is growing mm -hmm you have to keep it. Sorry, but like if it's in your fallopian tube, it's gonna burst and you're gonna hemorrhage and you're gonna need emergency surgery anyway. Probably. Leaving room for illegal. Okay, leaving room for legal. You 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 could have to have emergency surgery. That's yeah. And at that point, they're gonna have to remove it. You're just it's endangering your life. In terms of so this kind of goes with the whole medically necessary. What is medically necessary? What is not medically necessary? So a few things are so for ectopic specifically in the Texas abortion legislation that ended abortion after six weeks, there are exceptions for ectopic pregnancies. Mm -hmm. The thing is, um, the language is still confusing in a lot of these bills. So in the Texas one, there is an exception for ectopic pregnancies in the anti-abortion Texas bill. However, there's confusion about who's able to use the medication because the medication to use to end an ectopic pregnancy is the same medication used for an abortion. Methotextrate. Since the state prohibits its use for abortion, it's still in that kind of the iffy area in Texas. Interesting. So like it's just valid enough. Well, the reason it's confusing is so it's like if you have an ectopic pregnancy, Texas way to solve your ectopic pregnancy mm -hmm. is is the medication that will that would in other states like California New York used for an abortion mm -hmm. so it's the same your body's doing the same thing they just justify it differently mm -hmm. additionally Dr. Cindy Duke a double board certified virologist and OBGYN says abortion legislation that could impact a topic pregnancy reveals that people do not understand what constitutes a pregnancy mm -hmm. so I'm just going to throw this in here because it's the perfect time so six weeks we love to talk about six weeks you're from one of our favorite website, and again, going back to John Legend and Chris Egan, one of their sponsors, Pampers. Your first three weeks of pregnancy. I knew this a while ago, but did you know this? I did know this. It never fully made sense to me. Like I had, it took a few times, but then like I got it. So I feel like I can kind of understand where people get confused, like particularly because it's not really explained to you, like in sex ed classes, even like visiting the doctor as I, I actually don't know listeners. Um, I'm terrified of pregnancy. So like I ask a lot of questions and it was never fully explained to me until I like Googled. I heard it through someone explaining their pregnancy journey. So pregnancy as a kid, at least I feel like the narrative that we, was pushing was, was nine months. Mm -hmm. In actuality, doctors count it on a 40 week cycle, mm -hmm. which is actually 10, 10 months. months. Again, viability is 24 weeks. And so weeks is the more common way because so much developmentally happens. That's also why when you ask people how old their kids are between the ages of zero and two, they'd say 18 months rather than like a year mm -hmm. and a half. Cause like you could show a one year old who's like a 13 months and a 16 month year old and that they're gonna have drastically different like abilities and milestones because cognitively everything, brain forming. Did you know babies are born without kneecaps? I did know that. They yeah. form later. That's why you should never like, when people try to sell you things for like your baby's needs, like don't fall for it. Cause like when they crawl, they don't 
they don't need anything they don't have kneecaps weeks one to three and this is the part that like i was shocked to find out because so six weeks because of the way pregnancy is usually measured you're not actually pregnant during the first two weeks of pregnancy or so of your pregnancy mm -hmm. i'm gonna read that one more time because of the way pregnancy is usually measured you are not actually pregnant during the first two weeks or so of your pregnancy stipulation unless you are on a weird ovulation cycle because it's measured like from the date of your last period what if you're ovulating when you're on your period but you can't ovulate on your period i don't think so because the whole point is like it's your menstrual cycle so like getting so i talked to like my gynecologist so i went through this and like not to like i don't want this to be like a full like sex ed conversation but the reason people can get pregnant on their period is because once a it's it's about timing so some sperm can last up to five days before it implants mm -hmm. so you might be on your period when that when the egg gets fertilized and so you could be pregnant on that period mm -hmm. but like i don't believe you can ovulate and have your period at the same time because obviously Ovulating is the dropping of the egg and the period is the shedding of the lining. So I currently don't have my doctor right now because of the insurance change. But basically what we were trying to figure out for me was that I was getting the double period because I was, my ovulation and shedding were not, like they were reversed. So I was shedding when I st should have been ovulating and was ovulating when the egg like should have been released into the world. I don't know. We'll have to do a really big fact check. Because I'm not asking, can you get pregnant on your period? Mm -hmm. Generally you are taught you have your period two weeks, about two weeks later you ovulate but for some people that doesn't happen correct but i get yes i get what you're saying about like the whole missed period thing but the point is they're never gonna because of just the way the doctors count they're never no matter how funky your ovulation cycle is mm -hmm. like they consider the day you get pregnant they start at week three i believe so when you're one week pregnant you've only just started your period at two weeks you're pregnant ovulating and since ovulation happens 14 days at the start of your period assuming a 28 day cycle you can't really become pregnant until week three at the earliest until what's the matter number that texas and a lot of states are trying to ban it at six weeks so unless you're testing as you should be for covid on a weekly basis mm -hmm. which is expensive is it i mean aren't pregnancy tests like 17 dollars? well like if you get like the bougie clear blue ones but like people like get like people who are trying to conceive like just buy like the box on amazon which are like the not thc strips the hg hgc strips or whatever oh. to test so you can do that and like in bulk and people do that to test ovulation and other things but yes like those are very expensive tests mm -hmm. the clear blue the first response all those fun ones but yes so basically you have to know it's not very much time you don't get a full month mm -hmm. and honestly just like even getting into like in clinic like medical abortion it, they call them in clinic abortions a like surgical procedure most doctors don't even like to do that until you are five to six yeah. weeks so like if you're thinking in terms of that because they want to make sure everything is out Mm -hmm. going to medically necessary quickly because it's a term that is thrown around like an ectopic pregnancy and various things so based on everything i found medically necessary is a very difficult term to define because it is very personalized to any pre-existing and things you already have mm -hmm. or things that pregnancy does to your body for example pregnancy imposes a significant physiological change on a person's body these changes can exacerbate underlying or pre-existing conditions like renal cardiac disease can severely compromise health or even cause death the Determining the appropriate medical intervention depends on a patient-specific condition. Another article said, what's unfortunate is people don't understand medically necessary until it's their situation. And that is suddenly when it becomes very clear and apparent that a medical decision should be made between a patient and their doctor. 
For example, when pregnant patients were admitted for COVID, sometimes to help them breathe better because of respiratory failure, we would have to do medically necessary abortions to free up lung space. That's so sad. Another example is cancer treatments may cause a premature rupture of the amniotic sac. A placental abruption is which the placenta separates from the uterine lining may also be considered a medical emergency in some mm -hmm. cases for extensive bleeding. So medically necessary is a term that people based in science like to use and like people not based in science like to throw around. Like it's never medically necessary. It's never because medically necessary is a situational basis. It's based on your pre-existing thing so mm -hmm. you can't generalize like like on a scale can we say abortions are medically necessary no we can't make that claim we can say individuals medically necessary abortions are individualistic so like when they make a claim like abortions are never or abortions are always medically necessary it doesn't leave room for things like this which is why people don't listen to it because it's a very personal thing like if you if someone had a high blood pressure and this was causing issues or mm -hmm. bad preoccupation or something that made it medically necessary until you have the thing that makes it medically necessary it is not medically necessary okay I get that it's like why can't you say that like it's medically necessary because these things can happen and so therefore it should be like a protected right because you can get in a car and you can get in a car accident it doesn't mean it's going to happen i don't agree I don't, with that statement i think abortions are sometimes medically necessary the thing that's hard to fight with that is needing to give all i'm not saying you should have to but it's similar to as in our sexual assault episode well what were their pre-existing conditions what were their things and i'm not saying to blame or to shame anyone but it's a thing of like medically necessary in a bucket term Mm -hmm. leaves a lot of wiggle room for morality and debate and people to like, give opinions. It's different when you say, my fetus is implanted in my fallopian tube. What would you like to do about that? Versus it versus the doctor saying it's medically necessary and being like, okay, well, what does that mean? It's like, well, in her case, it means her heart is shutting down and hit, in their case, it means they, they, they're not getting enough oxygen or blood or whatever they might need. So it's mm -hmm. like medically necessary because it can be medically necessary and it need, people need to be reminded of that. I just think for a lot of people, these medically necessary cases are, it's something that for unfortunately a lot of people who are pro-birth, until it hits them, they don't understand. Mm -hmm. And they can find a way to like wiggle or blame. It's like, oh, well, it's because they were overweight. It's because they had cancer. It's because whatever. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it is legitimately necessary for the health of the baby and for the health of the mother who needs the procedure. And it is important to acknowledge that baby fetuses, embryos, whatever you want to call them, that are medically aborted, are typically wanted children mm -hmm. so the idea that people have the audacity when like a person and their doctor need to make this decision when it is a baby that is wanted and you're now telling them things that are factually untrue mm -hmm. i don't know not my dude but i don't think jesus would approve of that probably not i don't know i've never really understood the like religious cl religious claims like as to why abortions like I've never really understood it because it doesn't make any sense because in the sense of like preserving the life of the mother or the quality of life of the child what supports like services are like going to be offered like honestly like it sounds really bad there aren't a lot of people who are actually like willing to help in situations where there's a mom who has to go on bed rest or like difficult pregnancy like difficult birth like we like in our country like we don't give women a lot of time off like post-birth 
C-sections are major medical procedures and still like women who have them are expected to return to work in like what four to six weeks depending upon how much time they took off prior to the birth of their child because at most companies all of your parental leave is rolled in for doctor's appointments any bed rest before that since you brought up my favorite topic well i brought it up but then you went into it religion let's get into this for, for a little bit i found this really fun chart from the pew research group people scientists social scientists whatever researchers among religious groups there actually is a vast position so I will speak from what I've been listening as someone who identifies as Jewish grows up in a Jewish family in Judaism the mental and under most sects of Judaism will not say orthodox but like conservative and reform if the life of the mother her physical or mental health is at risk it goes with I'm not going to pronounce this right I'm already like I think it's like which always means like life before all else so hypothetically with all of the jewish religions if you are a doctor you can miss um, shabbat because you are saving lives life-saving mm -hmm. things matter before all and that embryo fetus whatever inside of you is using you for life and your life comes first like mm -hmm. in jewish law it's demanded that you do what you take if like on fasting holidays if you like I know Orthodox Jews who are um, who have diabetes and they they don't fast because your mm -hmm. health comes first. Mm -hmm. So like I know that stance. Um, apparently there are, there are sects of Christianity like the Presbyterian Church is okay with it. The United Church of Christ is okay with it. Some have limits like Episcopalians, Evangelical, Lutheran, and Methodist. And then the ones who are absolutely big nose are Catholics, Mormons, Hinduism, Lutheran, Southern Baptist, African Methodist, and Assemblies of God, which I would feel like Jehovah's Witnessy, but I don't know if that's what they're called. I don't know either. We're religious. And so when we say also religious freedom for abortions, mm -hmm. not all religions are anti-abortion. So when people are, it's religious, right? It's like, but we're all in this country, allegedly separation of church and state. When did religion come so much into abortion? When did it become a moral issue? So little history lesson. In January of 1973, the Supreme Court ruled Roe v. Wade that under the 14th Amendment, a right to privacy exists in pregnant women a choice of whether to have an abortion. Simultaneously, in 1973, the chief issue concerning the religious right was tax exemptions for private schools. In Green v. Connolly in 1971, the Supreme Court ruled that under 501c3, the IRS racially discriminatory private schools are not entitled to federal tax exemptions. Okay. Racism. Yeah. Therefore, somehow, I feel the wheels turning. Think out loud. <laughs> no, no, continue. I see a correlation there. I don't know if everyone sees it, but I see racial correlation. So when the rights of the right wanted to keep private schools, church, wanted to keep racial discriminated private schools to not get tax exemptions, they weren't really happy about getting their tax status removed. So what did they do? Find a cause that we can all come together around. The killing, the murdering of unborn babies. Which in itself is definitely just a paradox whenever I hear that, because it's like, how can you murder something that is not yet alive? Similarly, Angela, just like close your eyes and tell me, does this sound at all familiar? The appeal of Reagan was odd because he was once reputed to be a Hollywood womanizer who never attended church and had signed the country's most liberal abortion laws as governor. In 16, sorry, in, <laughs> 19, in 1967, Governor Reagan signed a bill giving any doctor the power to approve 
an abortion for quote-unquote mental health reasons of the mother. Nine years later, Reagan claimed that he was unaware of this part of the law, but that is disingenuous, and that Reagan spoke to his misgivings the day he signed the law. Sound like any other person who's resided in the White House, we know? Oh my god, totally. Who also may or may not have been on TV. Well, who was also a liberal. Mm -hmm. He literally went on the news in like the 90s and said like, if I were to run for president, I'd run as a Republican because those fools are like sheep fall anything. But yeah, all of a sudden when integration was brought up is the first time that the religious right brought up abortion and started talking about abortion. It's absolutely ridiculous. By 1976, the anti-abortion movement was not yet strong to influence the GOP platform. By 1980, again, like Reagan and other candidates, it started started pulling like Reagan was the first big one for the GOP yeah Reagan in 67 was that and then when he ran for president he flipped his stance but abortion wasn't an issue of the GOP until racism desegregation until they saw their numbers dwindling which as we have proven they are not well here racism and classism mm -hmm. we the people Who's we? White cisgender men. And also going back, like- White cisgender church going men. Well, here, like, let's go back to this like quick little thing. There's a great TikTok that if I can find, I'll send Angela. Like, if a fetus is a baby, why didn't pregnant women get checks for their kids? Remember during that lovely time in 2020 when the government was giving us free money? Oh yeah. If a fetus is a baby, why didn't they get money? If it's a fetus is a baby, can they take out life insurance? Can they start a 401k? Can they start a retirement fund? Why do tax exemptions not start until birth date, not conception? We'll wait. Anyone, feel free. <laughs> I literally can't. What's next on our agenda? Uh, well, I guess you're kind of already in it. Like why the GOP is better at marketing their stance. Okay, so one thing, I was looking through articles and finding things. And one of the articles that I wanted to read was, I mean, I'll call it out. I don't care, was a Bloomberg article that asked if I wanted to pay $400 to like read a subscription or like do something. You know what wasn't behind any paywalls? All.org, All Life League, the liveaction.org. Anything from conservative groups was not behind a paywall. What mm -hmm. is behind a paywall? The New York Times mm -hmm. and other organizations. I'm not saying that there's a reason or capitalism, yada, 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 but it's like, we also have to factor in what is accessible. What is the, what is the least effort on the part of education mm -hmm. to educate people? Mm -hmm. and paywalls don't help that like cnn sometimes is paywall and i like i understand like particularly like print is a dying media like they're trying to survive like in order for these stories like to come out you have to pay the reporters and journalists that mm -hmm. are like actually like doing this research writing it down getting the word out like i totally get that but at the same time half of the draw of being able to look things up online yourself is that they are free like information should be free if you want to charge for anything charge for charge us to, charge us to hear about kravis's wedding that you can just look at people all day long like online and look at all the photos from their wedding like charge us for that send a new york times reporter in partner with an influencer, get the inside scoop and have us pay $100 to look at that. Know your audience. Again, the GOP and the Republicans, I've said this for years, so many people have, Sophia Bush has said this, like a lot of people, like the Democrats, you can stop whenever you can't get political <laughs> nods, smoke signal, whatever. The Democrats are, she said this, they're bringing a knife to a gunfight. At this point, Republicans have marketing and they all, they all have the same talking point. Speaking of the pro-birthers, lovely senator down in Texas, Ted Cruz. You know what he took a stand against for the shooting that just happened? Back doors. Because the door, the back door was unlocked. 
That's that's his thing. We we have we can't have unlocked back doors. Like without the back door, this wouldn't have happened. It's Texas. Nobody locks their doors. Someone oh my god! Like, like, it's so proud that Ted Cruz came out against doors. God. Also, speaking of this, because I'm just I can say what I want on my platform. Did you know during 45, 44, 45, 45, 45 speech at the NRA convention in Texas, they're banning guns for his speech? Make it make sense, guys. Like, come on. Texas is an open carry state. If it doesn't work, why won't, why can't I bring a gun to the rally, to the to the speech of the National Rifle Association? Mm-hmm. Angela, you, you know more Republicans than I do. Can you explain that to me? I really wish that I could and actually like not even like work related, but just based on the Republicans, I know I really can't say what I want to say. Just allegedly everyone who is registered with the NRA knows how to use their gun, has been trained to use their gun, is able to exercise extreme caution and good judgment when they need to use the gun. So why can't they all just be in the same room together if they are so well controlled? Angela will give you $500 if you have an answer. (laughs) But I would be interested to see if anyone would actually respond. Oh my god, that would be insane. But yeah. For example, one website they found, there's no reason for me to like shout out what these names are. Said website, building a culture of life. The culture of death is the greatest tragedy of the last two generations. Together, we can transform it. Yes, the culture of death is a great tragedy where kids are being gunned down in their schools, where people are being assassinated in their grocery stores, where people are like, where like other people are sitting on other people's necks for seven and a half minutes. Eight minutes and 40. Eight minutes and 46 seconds. Where, yes, the people paid by our funding to protect us wait outside of a school for an hour. And get their kids out first. Where kids who might not be white, cis, straight, gendered can't be their authentic selves. Mm -hmm. Where non-white women disappear and no one cares. No media coverage, no extensive police reports. But but remember, Angela, the culture of death is the greatest tragedy of the last two generations. And together we can transform it. We have been, this site has been defending the sacredness of human life since 1979. Nancy Pelosi slow clap. 1979, which happens to be after 1971 and after 1973 when Roe v. Wade happened. Mm-hmm. Quinky dink? No. It's a Nancy Drew mystery. Oh yeah. So let, let's, so even abortionists, which is a term I've never heard, admit that- I'm ab- sorry, are they trying to make that like abolitionists? Abol- even abortionists admit abortion isn't necessary to save a woman's life or health. So like, let me just read this whole thing. So if a woman with a serious illness, such as heart disease, say, or diabetes gets pregnant, the abortion procedure may be as dangerous as her going through the pregnancy. With diseases like lupus, MS, or even breast cancer, the chances of pregnancy will make the disease worse is no greater than the chance the disease will either stay or improve. And medical technology has advanced to a point where a woman with diabetes, kidney disease may seen through a pregnancy safe by a doctor who knows what he's doing. I've come a long way since my mother's time. Oh, this is sad. This is like, an, this is from a quote from an abortionist. The oh idea of abortion saves a mother's life is something that people cling to because it sounds noble and pure, but the medically speaking, it probably doesn't exist in a real show. Here's the thing. Everything on this list that they were claiming, such as cancer, diabetes, kidney disease, are not the things I brought up previous medical and necessary, like bringing up respiratory space because someone is not breathing, causing cardiac arrest is not like a mom with like lupus or MS, which are not things to be discouraged. Like mm-hmm. I have a family member who like has lupus and had a pregnancy and I, I don't know, I frankly wasn't born yet, but like she's alive, the kid's alive. So I think it well, well it's like just stating like a general thing that would be like dis, not to invalidate 
your existence but that'd be like i have ibs so pregnancy will be hard which i know it will be for various reasons but like that's not what we're talking about like your ibs is not what we're claiming for medical necessity mm-hmm. but, oh my lord but oh well actually you you brought up a point for me jay how long do you think it takes for an abortion like the procedure or to fully shed the procedure i think i mean i'm getting very technical here mm-hmm. i would say like like 30 minutes to an hour five to ten minutes five to ten minutes is apparently just as dangerous to them as seven hours 10 hours 21 hours of birth 36 72 mm-hmm. okay. i was 72 actually <laughs> My mom said she just passed out and didn't see me for a few hours. But like, that's like five minutes for remove. But like, that's for the surgery, not for the pill. Right. The pill actually, well, that take, it can be anywhere from 24 to 72 hours. Yeah. Because not that this is a reliable source, but on Station 19 recently, a character just did a, mm-hmm. I didn't know there was a pill. I only knew like, a, is an abortion the same procedure as the DNC? Yes. So a okay. DNC is a type of abortion procedure. There are two types oh, okay. of in, they call them generally, they're not surgical. They call them in clinic. So there are two different types there and then there's also the abortion pill which is actually two pills and it's two-step thing so that either takes 24 to 72 hours in clinic actual procedure time is five to ten minutes you're probably in the room like being prepped all of that that's maybe 45 minutes to an hour. I'm, cl- I'm still claiming that I'm right. <laughs> Hour-ish to two three days. Not only worth the hours of birth 40 weeks for 10 months mm-hmm. of carrying the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, here's the thing. This is an easy pregnancy with swollen ankles, morning sickness, back pain, nausea, sore, sore boobs, not being able to keep food down, bed rest. That's for a good pregnancy mm-hmm. with no pre-existing condition. Those are all things that can happen. Preeclampsia, or I don't know if you need a pre-existing condition. No, preeclampsia can happen at any time. Fun things. Mm-hmm. But let's go with my favorite organization that I found. Every life is precious. Oh Lord. Every life has purpose. This organization, let's, what about us, who we are, transform, empower, create, support. We are committed to treating all who pass through our doors with kindness, compassion, the highest level of care. We've been serving women, children, and families for over 120 years. We believe adoption is a lifelong journey and we are committed to serving all through our various adoption competent services. Why do I have zero faith in their adoption competent services? So, as if I wasn't already talking much more than Angela this episode, we're gonna continue that. Why women choose abortion over adoption? A woman believes an abortion is less expensive than placing a child for adoption. Worries about other people finding out about the pregnancy. A feeling that abortion is quicker and less emotionally involved for an unplanned pregnancy. These are, Angela, did you know these are misconceptions? Oh my God, I did not know that at all. So the truth, cost. Placing your child for adoption is always less expensive. This is because the cost of pregnancy and giving birth are taken care of by the adoptive family. Confidentiality. Many women don't want to admit they become pregnant unexpectedly and they see abortion as a quote unquote quick fix that will allow them to keep their situation a secret. However, adoption may be able to just perform confidentiality with help of experienced adoption agencies. Emotional well-being. Finally, some women think abortion is preferable to adoption because they think it's a lesser emotional decision. In truth, however, many women experience significant mental or emotional side effects. They're gonna either side you're going to endure many emotional side effects. Abortion, adoption, miscarrying, mm-hmm. anything. Let's take feel out because as Angela has admitted she is cold in many ways physically and emotionally. <laughs> when one becomes pregnant hormones particularly the oxytocin the love hormone rushes to your body. It's mm-hmm. like being on drugs because your body your blood supply doubles so a lot of women I've heard like their sex drive goes extremely up. These are things that evolutionarily physiologically from God have been gifted to women during this gift of pregnancy. So this is going to be unlike 
abortion, many women don't take much time to consider adoption as a possibility. However, modern adoptions are very different from how they're portrayed in the media and how they were years ago. Today's adoption process places the birth mother in control and makes it possible for them to plan the types of adoption they want. It's important to remember adopters are completely free for the birth mother. In many cases, we can even secure you additional. So this website is beautiful and, and it sounds very good. Like if you were in a desperate situation, mm -hmm. this sounds like a saving, saving grace, saving answer. As the residential adoptee of this podcast and my life and friend group, adoption is not a solution for abortion. Adoption is not because you want kids. If you want to be a parent, I this was really surprising me when my mind shifted. As in the adoptee community says, if y'all want to look it up, it's like kind of coming through the adoption fog and fog stands for fear, obligation, and guilt that comes with being an adoptee. I'm not saying every adoptee experiences this. If you're an adoptee who soul searches enough, you probably have some kind of experience of this. Adoption is trauma and adoption leads to, adoption is not a solution. So speaking of adoption, I have to unfortunately fact check one of the things that I was very excited to get mad at when all of this started happening. So it was quoted that Amy Comey Barrett used the term we're trying to increase the domestic supply of infants when the Alito document got leaked. However, that has been proven false. In one of the footnotes from a statement in 2002, it said a woman who, or said the report in this report from the CDC says, by number of children available for adoption, supply, the number of individuals and couples seeking to adopt, demand, societal changes such as the decline of teen birth and women choosing to raise their babies have reduced the children of adoption. So the statement was used there. And so that was like the footnote that was quoted that like people jumped to domestic supply of infants. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing, when people are choosing to keep their babies and we're reducing teen pregnancy and we're educating, there are less babies to adopt. We have to ask ourselves, why is it bad that they're less? Like the adoption industry is a billion dollar industry. Why is it bad that we are adopting less? Because the thing is, there are plenty of children in foster care with special needs who think like you don't, you have to reflect as to why you're unwilling to go that route. Because having children, period, adopting, whatever, becoming a parent is a selfish choice. Mm -hmm. Now granted me with my cheaper by the dozen family, I plan on making that selfish choice because I want to be a mother. I want to bake. I want to be able to bring people into this world who are educated thinkers and will help improve for whatever planet they have left. And I want people in bow ties and tutus. <laughs> like, let's be real. Whatever holiday card I get to make, I'll, I'll give cards for every holiday. I'll like make little postcards. Like, oh, you're gonna become a Valentine's Memorial Day, St. Patrick's exactly. Day Halloween person. Exactly, but I'm gonna be productive and do them like all in January. Oh, there you go. Like I'll do like one day for a photo shoot and just like rotate the outfits <laughs> The fact that it's an issue that there are less infants for adoption is a problem. And we need to say that it's a problem because you are not entitled to be a parent. You are not entitled to a child. And like, this is a much more controversial point. But like, I think it needs to be said. Partners who do not have the mechanics on their own to create life is not the same as infertility. Mm -hmm. You could find a lovely, if there is a gay couple, they could find a lovely lesbian couple and petri dish it, turkey based it, whatever. And they could have kids. And then the reply is always like, well, I don't want that. It's like, but you not wanting that does still does not make you infertile. And that is a distinction between infertility and LGBTQ people are not innately infertile. Mm -hmm. They just want that they want what we've been sold as the American dream of the 2.5 kids and the white picket fence and the dog and their nuclear family unit. That pushes the white supremacy capitalistic agenda of keeping us individualistic and separate. Mm -hmm. Think of like families, think of, think of Encanto, think of Turning Red, think of these generations of families that live together and raise kids together and lived as a community that like America is so wanting to cut themselves off from.
Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like this is something that I've heard a lot in debate about and it seems like it's one of those issues where people need to hear it in a very specific way to understand it because I have heard the argument a lot of like, well, why can't people team up and like try to figure it out like in terms of like having a family raising a family and then it just like it very much like swings in the opposite direction sometimes of like oh well if you don't like have the means then you just don't need to have a family and so it's like i feel like there are two like extreme poles going on starting a family i don't know we'll call it organically or adopting fostering things like that and it's like however like your family comes to be you honor someone's family i'm a little confused sorry i think i might have focused in like a little bit too much on the infertility versus LGBTQIA couple angle. But like, no, no, I get that. But like, what does that have to do with like accepting families in the way they come? As in like, why are we like pushing like adoption and like new babies to like come on the market when it's like, if you're able to foster, like if you're able to like be someone's fairy godparent or like things like that. It's like, why can't you like accept the way that people want to make their families? Why is it that you need to go out and create a supply for people to have? Because people want fresh start people want people have a thing like especially like with international adoptions like a lot of times people are like I want to adopt internationally because like I don't want the parents coming back oh that's but it's also like you hear horror stories like I understand I under I can I can understand that the other thing is the thing with like infant adoption in the U.S. is it's like a one-to-one transfer like mm-hmm. not to go into too much it's like I was in an orphanage whether or not like my family adopted me or not I wasn't in a home versus these domestic supply of infants from the birth canal go to biological parents Mm-hmm. Like that is an issue. It's not like either. And the other thing is, here's the thing: if you're not okay fostering or adopting to a kid because it's not biological yours, or because they're all things, you don't want to be a parent. Mm-hmm. Like, let's be real: to be a parent is to assist in raising humans and giving your all and unconditional love and support and everything you have to another person mm-hmm. to continue your lineage. Like, let's be real: in whatever way that comes, it's so there's generations after you. There's a legacy in whatever way that comes, mm-hmm. and like that's okay to admit that's okay to acknowledge just like it's there and it's nothing to shame for it's just something to acknowledge that having kids that doesn't and the thing is like if you're not okay fostering or adopting a kid that doesn't look like you if you're not okay with this like you want it to be as close to biological as you can and you're you want it it's entitlement you want it your way you want an infant who looks just like you who biologically may or may not be similar or who who you want the kid to look like they were yours biologically without doing it biologically because for you and your same sex um partners without the right mechanics mind that's what you want like you want it to look like your family and I think I don't shame people for wanting that but it's also like you have to see what that connects with what that means what that does Mm. what that furthers what that endorses what that continues to create in our capitalist system and again with families like breaking families up when it's I like this point I'm still working through because a lot of people are like well like when a a child gets taken away because like with means when they don't have the means does that mean they don't get a family Mm. it's also hard because it's like if my if I want to be a parent why would I sponsor a mom and her child so that they could stay you not unified when you want to be a parent which goes Mm -hmm. again to reiterate being a parent is the selfish choice here here and brief interlude while angela sends a work email pardon for the abrupt ending we just had so much to say there will be a part two coming at you next week until then there will be plenty of resources and things that we will list for you guys to look into to learn more see you next week